Welcome to the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marina Buxov, holistic health coach, clinical herbalist, and functional medicine pharmacist, or just holistic pharmacist for short. Whether you're a healthcare professional helping to support the health of your clients or going through your personal healing journey, I believe you will find yourself right at home with this podcast. My co-hosts and I will be merging the scientific with the holistic all season long, as well as sharing stories that will touch your heart and challenge your mind. Please enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jenna Carmichael, and we are here again for a uh, journal club uh, extraordinaire sort of article discussion today. And today I have Susan Egbert here with me, and we are going to discuss the antimicrobial activity of acetone extract and isolated metabolites from folklore medicinal lichen. Um, against drug sensitive and multi-drug sensitive or resistant tuberculosis. Holy cow. That's a big, it's a yeah. lot of words in there, <laughs> but it's actually, I have that, so. <laughs> but I have to say, I'm very interested and fascinated by this article. And so Susan, why don't you give us a little bit of background about you, some information about how you got interested in lichens, and then we'll dive into this article. Yeah, so um, I did get my PharmD in 2019, uh, kind of during pharmacy school. I felt like the traditional pharmacist roles weren't really for me, the typical hospital retail roles. So I was kind of just figuring out what else could I do with my life. And so um, I've been seeing like MD, PhDs and like pharmacology in these different areas. So I was like, hmm why can't I do that for myself? So uh, currently I'm a third year PhD candidate at the University of Manitoba um, in the Department of Chemistry, um, specifically studying on lichens. And the interest of lichens really came from um, doing an honors thesis from um, undergrad on lichens. And so from there, it just kind of continued on because there's not a lot of data uh, right now on lichens and their pharmacological activities. So for our listeners out there who may not be familiar with what a lichen is compared to say like an herb <laughs> yeah, or a plant, you know, why don't you give us a little kind of rudimentary explanation about how a lichen maybe differs from say an herb that has leaves and things or trees, you know, those sorts of things. How do yeah. we differentiate these guys? Yeah, definitely. So um, lichens literally grow everywhere. Um, I've seen them from the soils on the ground up to even like rocks in the Grand Canyon, you can see them. Um, So really, it's this like unique organism because there's like two organisms growing in the same place. Uh, One of them is usually a typical algal species that provides nutrients. And then another aspect is the fungi that actually produce all these interesting chemicals that I'm particularly interested in studying. So um, usually what I tell people is like, if you see the green stuff or the orange stuff or the yellow stuff growing on trees, that's typically a lichen. And so I think that that's really fascinating, right? Because we have this now species that grows on top of another species. (laughs) And so that really does kind of show us that symbiotic relationship that these two species intertwined have together. And I think medicinally, that's most likely why people are interested in these types of products. Am I right? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, even some of the common names for some of these lichens, uh, for example, there's uh, one called the lungwort lichen. And so uh, traditionally used back in the day for lung ailments and things like that. Um, and you actually the Native Americans also used lichens for food even. So it was very unique actually reading up on that. <laughs> I think that that's really fascinating. And I think that just shows you the amazing potential of the plant world and the natural world that's out there. Oh yeah, definitely. (laughs) So let's get into this article. Why don't you tell me a little bit about specifically this particular lichen that they were looking at and kind of what, um, this traditional folklore use of this, um, this medicine was. Yeah. So, um, from what I'm gathering, it's definitely like uh, this lichen's found outside of the U.S., but you can also find um, Asnia-related species inside the U.S. Uh, they kind of typically noted commonly as like the old man's beard lichen. So like it kind of looks almost like a Spanish moss, but green, um, if you want to think of it that way. Um But yeah, like a lot of the pharmacological studies, at least these days in terms of natural products, is just really picking the natural source and either doing a um, isolation based on the activity like they did in this paper, or um, they, they have other methods of identifying what's the most active compound in the extract. And so, um, and there's a lot of different like activities that scientists will test these compounds against. Um, So especially with, uh, for example, osnic acid that was in this article, um, I've seen like thousands and thousands of papers at least on like ranging anywhere from like breast cancer to colon cancer, things like that. Um, So yeah, and for this study, they were looking at tuberculosis and kind of re-emphasizing some of the earlier data that's been made on Um, these compounds against different tuberculosis strains. And so in this trial, were the participants given the medication in the traditional way that it's been used, or was it kind of westernized in some way and put (laughs) in a capsule or tablet and given to patients? Yeah, so this one's actually more of a preclinical trial where um, they're more focused on in vitro data. So basically, they're taking cells of the particular disease that they're interested in and basically test these um, different compounds. And this is really essential um, to test for the activity before testing it in, say, animals and then to humans. And so um, in this particular study, uh, what they were doing for the extraction was they used acetone. And for those that may not remember what acetone is, it's the nail polish remover that well, we typically know it as. And so that, that's not really the traditional aspect that we see in like um, some of the herbal remedies. Um, usually in herbal remedies, you kind of think of your alcohols like methanol or ethanol or water being used as kind of like the extraction factors. So yeah, that's basically what they were doing. I think that's really interesting. And so, so in this study, they found that the, um, this extract was beneficial in this type of, um, TB, particularly in these like resistant strains. Is that right? 
Yeah, yeah. And what they also found, uh, which I thought was really nice about it, was the fact that like um, it was it was a bit more safe in comparison to um, some of the drugs like rifampicin that they used to study it against. And so um, it kind of shows like, okay, maybe we can kind of use these drugs. Um, I kind of like to think of like the different natural product drug discovery stories that uh, we've actually have for some of the drugs that are on the market. So hopefully one of these <laughs> compounds can be used someday towards this. Right, exactly. And I think that that's something, you know, as pharmacists, we kind of forget, right, is what is our history as pharmacists? And, you know, I work in the oncology field. And so a lot of our oncology medications originally came from plants, you know, we have taxanes, right, right. And and historically, too, taxanes have been very insoluble, we really can't get them into solution. And so we have horrible infusion reactions and things because people react to the solvent of the actual drug, not the (laughs) drug itself. Right. And so there's so many, so many drugs out there that we know that originally came from plants and then somehow were kind of tweaked in a lab. Yeah. Um, kind of the famous one I would think from that is actually the statins, which is a very commonly used cholesterol drug. Um, they first started making semi-synthetic analogs and then eventually started out with synthetic drugs after that. Um, basically one of my medicinal chemistry profs during school was saying like, oh yeah, nature can do things that basically a room of chemists would not be able to do. So <laughs> I think that's really unique and something we can't really find anywhere else. I agree. And I also think too, that, you know, when I was reading through this study, of course, you know, the conclusions of this study basically say that this is viable to use for potential drug discovery in the future. But I think from my hat as like an herbal pharmacist too, you know, to me that actually validates this folklore use of this medication (laughs) in this setting. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, there's actually a field of kind of like something similar to herbal pharmacists called like ethnobotanist. And there's a couple major people who are studying this in the States right now. And so mostly what they're doing is looking through uh, the folklores and actually seeing like the activities and testing the activities and kind of showing like, hey, maybe we were doing this for a reason. So... (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I think for me, that definitely was one of the big aha moments for me when I kind of moved more into this holistic mindset was, you know, okay, well, if some, if some culture, because herbalism crosses so many cultures, it goes into all kinds of holistic home remedies, folklore, all that kind of stuff. But if these herbs have been passed down through the generations, through oral traditions, not just written traditions, there has to be value in them. Oh, there yeah. has to be some sort of effect that these, these people are seeing from these therapies. Oh yeah, definitely. And like, for me, um, growing up, my mom's Korean. And so I was actually raised up on 
a lot of Eastern Asian <laughs> traditional medicines, like say if we were like about to get a cold, she would go like, oh, we need to put more garlic and onions <laughs> to our meals today. Like she was very against like the Western medicine um, until like we actually had a fever and we were like sick, sick, which I think it would be nice if we adopted a bit more of that mindset so that way we don't have these like super drugs <laughs> that are killing people off. And kind of the sad thing too is like a lot of the schools or at least whenever I was doing pharmacy school was the fact that like herbals was an elective, not really much of a course, which is quite sad because especially in retail, you see a lot of herbal over-the-counter <laughs> remedies mm -hmm. that are in the store and generally patients will ask about it but like at the end of the day they people oh like we're kind of taught like oh there's not much evidence against this like you're just wasting money things like that and it, it would be nice to kind of change that mindset a bit Oh, a hundred percent. And I also feel like the other part too, is the safety aspect, right? I think a lot oh, yeah. of times that's what, when I was in pharmacy school, that was what I was taught too, was that, you know, these, these medications, these supplements are not regulated by the FDA, which means that good manufacturing practices can basically <laughs> be thrown out the window. <laughs> yeah. And so you have no idea if, if it tells you that you have a calcium tablet, if it really is a calcium tablet. And from a safety aspect as pharmacists, I think that that of course is like our number one priority. role here, priority, right? <laughs> but I also feel that that does give our good manufacturers, the, the companies that are making quality products, then there are those out there. Yeah. <laughs> Not all of them are terrible. Right. And so I think that makes it harder for those companies that are ethical, that are doing the right thing, that are sourcing appropriately. Cause I think that's the other thing that when we delve into herbal medicine, we have to think about where was this plant grown in what mm -hmm. environment was this plant grown? Because we're taking in this whole plant matter. Yeah. Once you get that thing, it's not being processed anymore. And so oh, yeah. you do have to be very mindful about that sort of thing. But that comes from being, I believe, you know, a conscious consumer of your own environment. And I believe that there's a lot of people right now that are very interested in that idea. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I've kind of had thoughts of like, hmm, maybe we can have like laws based on like, oh, yeah, if your plant has like X percent of molecules in there, your product should have this like either similar number or less, like it shouldn't be anything more because, yeah, I've been reading a lot of recalls for over the counters and like basically the contamination is the biggest problem right now, so... Truly. Yeah. And that's exactly it. And that comes from knowing the company that yep. you purchased from, which means that you kind of have to do a little bit more legwork. You can't just go onto Amazon and, you know, type in your, <laughs> your herb of choice yeah. that you're looking for, right? You have to find good quality um, herbal purveyors. And there are lots of them out there. You know, Mountain Rose Herbs is a really great one. Um, Star West Botanicals is another one that I really enjoy. And there's lots of, lots of herbal companies that will be able to provide good quality, good quality mm. herbs. <laughs> yeah. And there's actually a lot of um, analytical chemistry uh, techniques that you can actually use to see how much of these um, particular 
compounds are in your extracts. So, I mean, there's there's an avenue that I think is slowly emerging, but we're it's probably going to take some time before we actually get there. Right. And like what comes to mind for me would be like ginkgo biloba, right? Ginkgo biloba oh, gosh, actually I has like ginkgo. a, right. And it has a standardized <laughs> extract. It has a standardized extract. That's the one that's been actually yeah. studied. And so if anybody's interested in taking ginkgo, then you would want that specific one that was studied that we know about, but that's yeah. not the one that if you made ginkgo biloba extract, that it would be like that. <laughs> just oh yeah, herbal, exactly. right? <laughs> So there's, of course, just this huge rabbit hole of information that we can oh, go gosh, down and yes. we definitely don't want to overwhelm our listeners here, but, yes, definitely. but it does kind of show you that like, once you dip your toe <laughs> into oh, yeah. the world of herbal medicine, that there really is an entire ocean's worth of information to kind of look through. Yeah, definitely. And the, even though like, we're all more on the clinician side, I think we still have the assets to be able to still read through the these basic science papers and be able to kind of understand what's coming out of these results. Yes, I agree. And so for our listeners out there, since you are a very <laughs> interested lichen person, why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about, you know, how would somebody, if they're interested in lichens, how would you incorporate that into their lifestyle? Is there anything in particular that we know that lichens are really um, effective at use or using in terms of what we know in the data? I'd be very Ooh. interested what you can kind of <laughs> share with us. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, honestly, it really depends on like what is available nearby you. Cause sometimes you can even just like go to your own backyard and be able to like, identify some of these lichens and be able to, um, actually like make an extract out of it. But there are a couple lichens. Um, I think there was like one that's like wolf something is a common name of it. That's actually toxic for people. So you kind of have to be a little bit wary in terms of like the certain compounds that would cause that toxicity. But for the most part, um, the osnia that was in the study, I've seen that used the most in terms of tinctures. So, uh, and used for a variety of ailments across the world. So yeah, it's, there's lots of books out there to be able to identify these lichens. If you're interested in kind of looking in your backyard, seeing what you have and kind of from there, you can probably like go on PubMed and be like, Hey, I have this lichen. What's the like health benefits that's been tested. Like that's kind of how I've been doing it so far. <laughs> and of course, trying to find somebody who has those qualifications, such as a certified yeah. herbalist or someone who has that, that background, if you're particularly interested, um, because I feel like lichens along with all of our other herbal products, you know, yeah. they're just like one of many things that we can use. And I think that that's the other thing that's really interesting about herbal medicine is that, you know, you don't have just one single use for these agents. They oh, have yeah, definitely. so many different phytochemicals in them and active ingredients. And so that's why you can see parsley, for example, right? Parsley is a very <laughs> common kitchen herb, yeah. but it's great as a bladder diuretic and you yeah. can use 
use that as well. And it tastes good. And it also, Oh, what did you know, helps you with the upset stomach. And you learn these things that, Oh, these culinary herbs that we use all the time, they started out because we were using them for their medicinal properties. Exactly. Yeah. It's so unique. And actually, um, if you don't have a herbalist on hand, but you do have a contact with someone who's a lichenologist, they can probably also tell you like what that lichen is too, if you send them a picture. I love it. I was just, <laughs> I was trying to think of a cute name for the podcast that I was going to say, I don't like in it. I love it. <laughs> Actually, I've seen that used so much for like t-shirts and everything. So <laughs> you're definitely on track. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much, Susan, for your knowledge on like yeah, Thank you, Jenna. Um, I really appreciate this conversation. And I think that, you know, this type of, you know, very basic science is important for us as pharmacists to look back at every now and then to be like, yeah. oh yeah, that's right. This is where we came from and <laughs> yeah, this definitely. is where we're going, right? <laughs> yeah. Cause it's part of the drug discovery process. We can't just like jump straight into the clinical phase trials. Like it has to start somewhere. <laughs> yes. And I think too, it's nice to see that science is finally kind of catching up to our traditional folklore, which I think is really important as well. Oh yeah. There's definitely a lot more literature out there now than I've been seeing in a good while. So wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Susan. And we'll definitely put all of your information in our show notes. If anybody would like to get in touch with you, we'll also have the article link in the show notes as well. And I hope everybody listening has a wonderful day. Yep. Have a wonderful day, everyone. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed creating it. If you learned something new from it, I'd love if you could leave us a five-star review and share it with a friend who might love it too. You can find me on any of the podcast and social media platforms by looking up Holistic Pharmacist or Dr. Marina Booksov. Thank you for your support and see you next time.